2 Timothy, if you have a Bible, go ahead. And if you're electronic Bibles, get them fired up. If you got your regular old Bible that just opens pages, that's okay. You can go there. We love that. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be doing verses 10 through 17. But I want to start in what he shared last week in verse 1. Pat shared this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Yes, if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll give you one. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Then he goes on to talks about boastful, proud, abusive, obedient to parents, uh, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. And he sandwiches all these things that are very selfish-minded. But then Paul writes this and he says, verse 5, have nothing to do with such people. Folks, we're in the last times. We're in terrible times. If you don't agree with that, turn the news on. Just ask your neighbor. Ask anyone around you. We are in rough times. And you have to recognize that. Paul was trying to describe that to this young Timothy that he had been mentoring. He was like been discipling him. Remember, he had gone through his own real tough times. Paul, at this point, is in prison. And this is his last letter because he dies after. He gets beheaded after this. So, I mean, what are the words that you would share with someone maybe towards the end Well, this is the core of Paul as he tells Timothy. We are going to face challenges, and you got to live through it. That's what he's trying to get across. There are terrible times, but you got to live through that. Well, one of the ongoing problems of our age, I believe today, as I sat in my study this week, is people are becoming so comfortable and convenienced. Instead of conviction and confession. They're just becoming comfortable and just things are convenient. So I want to go and hear a word that I feel good when I leave, that I I feel perky and I feel good about myself instead of maybe conviction or something the Holy Spirit's saying, you need to work on that area. You got to deal with that. Well, I think we have to be so careful that we don't just become people that hear the word and it's something that we just go, that's for someone else, but we are listeners of the word. Let's go to the word now in prayer. I mean, before we pray, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through 17. You, however, know all about my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, and endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise from salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning we just read your word. Father, your word, we want to understand what you're trying to say to us as individuals. 
There are some people in this room that can't get over just me mentioning about Greg's passing, and they're sad, and their heart's sad. There's people in this room that are struggling with their marriage and their relationships. There's people in here that have lost jobs and are questioning, how can we make our next payments? There's people here that have family members that are lost in this world. But Father, whatever it is, I pray right now, we just kind of put those things in a box, so to speak. And now we just lay them at your feet. And Father, you deal with them. You deal with that marriage or whatever's going on in our life. And Father, we pray that you change us today. That we will hear your word and not just to hear it, but truly for it to change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you were guilty, are guilty, during this pandemic to watch a little more TV than you ever watched, Netflix, streaming, all a lot, okay? A lot, some of you didn't raise your hands. I know you're lying. Because a lot of people, no, I'm sorry. But a lot of people did a little overboard, streaming, trying to see, maybe even you guys did that in your whole other country, I don't know. But you had, you had the same problems. I know that because I've talked to the Vishers. And we're so glad the Vishers are here. They've been going all over the place seeing family and friends. But a lot of us did this. So I was guilty. I am guilty. I'm not was. I am guilty because I watched Netflix this last few weeks because I got hooked. And sometimes you get hooked into one show. I had heard about it. Brock, you got like this. You would love this. You love all about survival stuff. I watched a show called Alone. Oh, I heard it. I heard it. Whoa. Well, Alone is about 10 people. The one that I saw, I haven't seen the other ones yet. Saw the last one. 10 men and women that get thrown in British, British Columbia, way up northwest, way past it, you know, Alaska, Canada, way up there in one of the coldest climates where the days were like rising to the high temperatures of 17. The water's freezing cold. So what, it, what I was inspired is as the boat left, they just go, wow. I'm alone. So the cameras and all the video is not like some of those other shows you've seen where they have a camera crew. They got a medical crew. They got someone over here that does massages. I don't know what they'll do in those, but you know, but this is you by yourself with multiple cameras so you people could capture what's going on, the sadness. And so immediately, most of them thought, I have, I have strength. They don't have food. I have strength. So I got to build something because, you know, you get into the zero degrees and negatives, it's going to be cold, right? So I need a place to live, a log cabin. So they start that. Then they start thinking, I need water. There's a source of water because they're at a lake, there's snow. That was, that was the source they had. But food was scarce. So they couldn't catch fish. Most of them, there was one, they all had bowed and arrow, but there was only one that brought down game. So it was like, what an incredible thing. So they were diving after a rabbit, or trying to catch a fish by grabbing it in this freezing cold. It was a crazy show. I'm not trying to push you to just go watch the show, but it was very interesting. But here's what I began to see through that, is they got to the necessities. Shelter, water, and food. I saw one of the guys get 100 pounds less because there was nothing to eat except for wild onions. And he started cutting bark and boiling it because you can get about 20 calories a day out of the bark water. There was nothing left. They could not catch anything. And I started thinking for us, what is it that we survive on? What is it as Christians we have to have? What is our lifesaver, so to speak? It needs to be the Word. 
It needs to be our relationship with the Lord because we don't know what's going to happen to us. Well, look again at verses 10 through 17. Paul gives Timothy three, this is where I was inspired, three survival techniques for living in terrible times. Three survival techniques for living in terrible times. The first one is don't be misled. Don't be misled. Look at verse 10 again. Paul tells Timothy, you know all about my teachings, the details of my life. He says, follow my model. Do as I did. Paul's telling Timothy, his mentor, he's, that's his, he's like his discipler. He's telling him, follow my teachings, follow my model. Paul was very transparent. Look at this. It says in 10, it says, Follow my teachings. Underline this in your Bibles. Follow my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, and love. He's trying to be transparent. Follow the teachings, the doctrine. The reason Paul lived that way was not because he was just all of that. It's because of who he believed in. Paul believed that Jesus was the changing place of his life, where he went from Saul to Paul, Right? Or he was the killer of Jews to the guy that was winning souls because he knew the value of what God was making in his life. He also said, examine the way of life, he says in verse 10. He says, how he lived. One of the marks of a godly life is that they have nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. When I sit with a young married, not even young, but a pre-marriage couple in my, in my office, I will tell them this. No more secrets at all. Financial secrets, nothing. You're sitting next to your best friend. Share everything with them. That's the mark of a good life. I believe someone that is not hiding something. You live the same life when you're at church, as you do in the home, when you go to your workplace, as you're walking, as you're surfing, as you're driving, men, some of you are driving. Some of those things where it's like, I saw, I, I honestly saw I, a guy this week that was so upset that he went three lanes across to chase the guy down. It's like, come on. Yeah, sometimes we get that way. Well, Paul holds, he says, holds on, hold on to your view of the purpose, what his goals have been. What is the purpose we have? Some of you know on our staff, I've been reading a lot of books specifically for men. We're trying to revamp our men's ministry. So I'm reading a lot of books about what is man's purpose? What is women's purpose in life? What is your goals in life? You know, what I'm seeing so often is we lose our identity of who we are. We just call ourselves by our work. Men say, yeah, I'm a landscaper. I'm a, you know, that's how we identify with things, right? Instead of, I'm a child of God. What does that mean? So we lose our identity. So I think Paul's really trying to get across the singleness of the purpose of life is very important. Then Paul talks about faith. And the Greek word for faith is pistis, which really means faithfulness. It's carrying out your faith. It's living out your faith. Paul's trying to say that is you need to be faithful in everything. Paul next talks about love. And this is the agape love that we all, this self-giving love, you put others first. And this is the love that I think John wrote very well in 1 John 4, 6 through 11. It'll be on the screen. 
We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth, the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and his only son, Jesus, into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Great scripture. Love is so needed in the world that we're around. So much needed to love outside of God loving us. Paul then moves on from transparency into this persistency, this goal, this vision. Look at this latter part of verse 10. It says endurance. And then 11, it says persecutions and sufferings. Paul speaks of endurance first, or I would say it's persistence. Paul knew what it was to be persistent and to go after something. Earlier, he spoke of being patient with people. Earlier, he was saying, you got to be patient with people. Remember I talked about the people drive, you got to watch them when you're driving. Be patient with people. Now he's talking about difficult circumstances. Are you persistent with things that are going on in your life? Are you following the Lord? I read this this week. I'm not a, matter of fact, my ring has literally cost me $2, so I'm not a real diamond guy, but this was a very interesting story to me. A diamond prospector by the name of Rafael Solano, who, who became discouraged because he was sitting on a dry riverbank in Venezuela. He had been pulling all these rocks all this time with three other men for months and not one diamond. He said, see this one? This is 999,999. And I quit. I'm done. The other guys with him go, why don't you just grab the millionth? Just so we can call it quits. Reaches the pebble, pulls out like a hen-sized egg rock, and he goes, this is the millionth. And he goes, wait, this is heavy. And he looks at it. Guys, it's a diamond. This is a diamond. We ends to go off, and he ends up going, and he, he sells this diamond to someone for $200,000. And here's the interesting thing about this diamond. Harry Whitman, a New York jeweler, paid Raphael $200,000 for this millionth pebble, named the Liberator. It was the largest and purest diamond ever found, 155 carats, which later was divided into four of the most valuable diamonds to this day in the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. Persistence. One more. Sometimes in our life, you have to go one more week or one more push. Greg had to keep pushing through his life with Huntington's. He knew his life was going to end, but he wasn't done yet. We have to continue to persevere. Paul demonstrated that. Not quitting when the pressure got rough, right? But his confidence was not in himself. It was in God. That's what you got to get. Paul's confidence was in God. 
was still in control of my life, even in prison, even in all the things he went through. We think Paul wasn't persecuted. Well, I've gone through a lot more than Paul. Let's, let's hear about Paul. He says in verse 11, persecutions. You see that? The S on the end of it? It's plural. Listen to listen about Paul. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, have been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have, seen, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the county, country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You see where I came up with this thought of that survival? He had to survive. Persistence. But he kept looking because his aim was fixed on the Lord. Did he have persecutions? Absolutely. Paul reminds Timothy in verse 13, evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Do you see this world getting better? No. I see it getting gradually worse. Some of this thing I've been reading about men is about pornography. And it has gone to the next level. It's billions and billions and billions of dollars that have winning this, winning this world over and destroying marriages and destroying relationships. We'll talk about that more when men's thing come up. But it's just the evildoers and the imposters are getting worse, not better. So the, the first survival technique is don't be misled. The second is don't be distracted. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. The theme, I think, of this whole study I'm trying to share is in this verse 14. When Paul tells Timothy, but... As for you, continue. But as for you, continue in what you've learned. He's very strong on this. John 8, 31, Jesus says this, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. He's saying, Timothy, you have to hold on. You have to hold on. You have to trust God. you got to just walk with him on this journey. So what helped Timothy accept the truth of the gospel? Well, Timothy received the scripture, it says in that verse, right? He received the scripture when he was young, but he was also received it from trusted people. When you disciple one-on-one -on -one with someone, you become a trusted person. When it's a neighbor that you've seen so many times, you're entrusted in them. They would probably take their kid that you don't even know their name and probably drop them over there if they had an emergency because they entrusted you. But he, Timothy is receiving the scriptures and realizing it was trusted by his mentor, Paul. He says, knowing from whom you have learned. He learned from his mother Eunice. Remember, we talked about that way back chapter one. And his grandmother Lois. They taught him the word of God. But Timothy had advantage of receiving the scripture because he had Paul. He had Paul that was 
not just sharing it, but living it out. The Holy Scriptures were coming to him. He was hearing those. He, didn't, he had the Old Testament, but he was seeing the live New Testament being written. So it was incredible that he was able to do that. And for some of you, you're going, is it important to talk to my kids when they're young about Jesus? Absolutely. Pay, take a stake and put it in the ground that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's why we start VBS at four years old. It's that important to us to talk about Jesus at four or these little guys in this room right now. They're hearing about Jesus at small ages because we see here in Timothy how valuable that is. I looked up a George Barna, which tells a lot of statistics. It indicates that 43% of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are by the age of 13. From 13 to 18, 64%. By 18, 64% will receive Christ. Then you have 18 to 21 is 13%. After 21, which we've got a long time to live after that, is only 20%, 23%. So, man, you hear someone coming to Christ at 60, it's amazing. Because they weren't hearing it as a young person. They weren't engulfed in it. It wasn't a part of their establishment. So they're having to go against the flow constantly. But Timothy learned from his mom and his grandmother and Paul. Paul led him to Christ. Paul gave, his ministry, gave him ministry opportunities. Paul taught him both the word and example. Paul laid hands on him in ordination. And Paul guided and mentored him in the midst of ministry. He walked beside him. So the second part of verse 15 in this training, it says, you have learned and have become convinced of because you have known those for whom you learned it. Then look at verse 16. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed. I want to talk about that. God-breathed, inspired by God. The biblical writers wrote down the very words of God. Some people struggle with the Word. Some people take the Scripture and go, what if it got messed up interpretation. So then they go off on this. I'm going to just go nerdy a little bit to talk about it a little bit. But what, the, what was the role the human writers of the Bible they had to play in this transmission of God's Word? They just had to hear God and write it down. It was not mechanical. It was not like God goes, oh, put your hand down, and then he just begins to do this, right? That's not how it worked. Because if you look at the four Gospels, they're about the same thing, but they're written, written from someone else. Just like if we walked out of here and we saw an accident out there, hundred of you would have a different, a slightly different, it was a red car. No, it wasn't, it was a burgundy, you know, it wasn't a green. We would have a different story, right? But we were writing it down. So, so you know that, that God inspired these men to write this. Listen to this. Peter declares in 2 Peter 1, he says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretations of these. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what inspired the Scriptures to be written. When it comes to Scripture, there's several views. I just want to share these. I remember learning these and school of ministry, and they're just important. There's this view called inspiration. 
There are those who hold this partial inspiration. That is, the Bible is not all inspired, but it does contain the Word of God, some of it. A very crucial problem with this view is that someone is left determining what is and what is not the Word of God. Then there's the conservative, which we would believe, Bible scholars believe, holds to the plenary inspiration. That's the inspiration that Scripture is full and complete. Right? Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, it's a complete book. You've heard this said, but I want to share it again because I'm trying to make a case for Christ. I have this book on my, I was looking at Case for Christ, looking this up. And there are 332 distinct Old Testament predictions. 332 Old Testament predictions regarding the Messiah, which Jesus fulfilled perfectly. <laughs> 332 predictions that Jesus fulfilled perfectly. These are about the birth in Bethlehem, the rise in, in Egypt. Talked about the healing and the sick, the death on the cross. That's what I'm trying to describe. So this Peter Stoner has calculated that the probability of any one fulfilling eight of these prophecies, not 332, eight, is one, I don't even know this number, it's one tenth to the, ten to the 17th power. For your mathematic person, one and add 17 zeros to the other end. So you take six of them, that's a million. You take nine, that's a billion. Then it's, it's, I don't even know what's after that. It's way too many. It's beyond the zillion, right? It's a lot. So he said, if that many silver dollars were covered over the state of Texas, it would be two foot deep. But then he goes a little bit further. This, I, I, I loved hearing this because Stoner says that if you consider 48 of the prophecies, the odds become one in 10 to the 157th power. 157 zeros behind it. Think about that. The chances of 48 prophecies being dialed in exactly. There's 332. So believe me, God's word is truth. You just got to trust that no matter what. The third survival technique is don't stop short. Don't stop short. Look at the second part of verse 6. He says, all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. He says useful. It is literally beneficial for your life, for your marriage, for raising kids, for finances, for the woes we go through, for the hard times we go for, through. It's literally beneficial. So what are the word... The Word of God is useful in four areas. I want you to jot these down in your mind, your thoughts. I, I read them, but the Word of God is useful in four areas. Teaching. What is right? How to live. It is useful for rebuking. What is wrong? Conviction or confrontation. We get convicted by the Spirit through the Word. Or the next one is correcting. What we need to do to get it right. The NLT says it straightens us out. The New Living Translation says, instead of just correcting, it straightens us out. Or the last one is training in righteousness. What to do to stay right. Ephesians 6, 4 talks about training. But it says in King James, it talks about discipline. I've talked over, have you ever heard me speak? You ever heard me talk about anybody? I'm all about discipleship. Because we are taught to be a disciple 
and make disciples. Discipleship is about teaching the believer what it means to be a child of God and then how to live it out accordingly. That's what we're supposed to be called to. So the result of these fourfold use of Scripture is given in this last verse. This last verse I'll read to you. It's verse 17. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The aim of Scripture is to equip the man or woman of God useful for the service of God. That's what we're supposed to be equipped for. That's what we're supposed to be prepared for. So the first survival is don't be misled. The enemy is out there, and it's not getting better. But don't be misled. Don't be swayed by him. Don't be distracted. Don't go off on tangents. Don't stop short. You don't know what the Lord has for you. He's going to get you through some of the things you're in right now. You've known it because in your life, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've seen God faithful throughout your life in sickness and in health or whatever's going on in your life. You've seen it. So here's some practical things I want to share with you. Here's some ways that you can apply this message. How do we follow Jesus in a world that doesn't want us to follow him? How do we do that? First, I mentioned it. Discipleship. Get plugged in. Get plugged in. That doesn't mean branches. I would love for you to get plugged in in branches, but that doesn't mean this is it. This is the only place. But get plugged in. Find someone one-on-one. Find a neighbor. Find a coworker. Find someone that you can minister with and disciple them. It could be, for you as a parent, it might be, I'm putting the stake down in my house. We're having devotions today after lunch or tonight for dinner. We're starting devotions in my house. We're going to do it every night. Start with a minute. Start with, if you have little kids, start with 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, and then let it build to five minutes. That changed my life as a kid. My parents, my dad, we had the daily bread, the little thing you'd pull out and you'd read it, and then you'd give a high and a low for the day. And man, we just, we shared all the highs and lows of life. Our, the Snook family, we laid everything out at the table. I mean, hey, we're struggling financially. We're struggling with this. Your sister has cancer now. We don't know what to do with this. We're trying to talk to the Lord. We put everything out there. Just because we were kids doesn't mean we couldn't understand it. So let your kids begin that. Disciple them. Could be go to a community group. You know, whatever it is. Here's what discipleship does. You have instruction. I'm instructed through the word. Then there's these illustrations. You get to hear other people talk about it, which brings inspiration. I want to talk about it. I want to do it. I want to do like my mentor does. I want to live that way. And then these next one is, how do we follow Jesus in a world that doesn't want us to follow? We accept the risk. We accept the risk. All that desire to follow Jesus will be persecuted. There is a risk involved in following Jesus. The last two are we keep the faith. Parents, start that foundation today. Start it now. Don't say it's too late. No. If you're a parent that laid down the foundation and you prayed and you trained your kids, this is where you trust Jesus. Even if they're so far away, you're going, they're never going to come back to Jesus. It's not your job to save them. You trust the Lord to do the saving. You did the training. Let the Lord do the saving. Trust God for that son or that daughter that may be so far off because God is way bigger than we are. All Scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul begins this chapter warning Timothy there will be dangerous times. Some Christians today are swept away by tough times or they're going and hiding. Neither option is for you. You don't just, tough times just run or just hide. We are to stand strong and stay in the Word of God. Read the Word, obey the Word, and go into training. Let's pray. Yes, come up. Father, as we have heard now your word, you used my voice to speak your word that is inspired by the Spirit. And Father, I don't know how that lands for each individual here today. There may be a few here that are saying, it's my marriage. There's just not much left, or it's slipping. Or it is my son, or it's my daughter. They're so far from Jesus. They're almost gone agnostic or atheist. Or it could be that you're struggling with cancer personally. Or maybe it's a family member. Or maybe you're the one that lost that job and you're going, oh my goodness, I have like one more month to pay bills and then I have no clue what's next. Lord, all of us need to learn to survive by you. And to realize that you are the only element, the only thing that we really need to make it. Because Father, I do what I do know about Greg is Thursday evening, when he took his last breath on this earth, he took his first breath in heaven, and he graduated, and he went home. And Father, for some of us, we're just struggling with just, I'm depressed. I thought I was going to be married by this age. I don't even have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Whatever it is, turn that over to the Lord. Give that over to the Lord. Don't try to figure it out. I love that the Lord said, you got enough worries of your own. Can you notice the way I feed those birds out there and how I clothe the fields and I have flowers all over that are wild, that just the rain makes them flourish? Do you realize that today's got enough worries? Don't worry about tomorrow. So, Father, what do you want to talk to us right now on this Sunday morning? What is it you want to talk to me about? Father, I want to now turn that over to you. I want to ask, Father, for whatever that issue is, for you to take the controls. I've been holding on the controls. I'm holding the reins, but I give the reins over to you. I no longer want to try to figure that out but I want to be that child that has faith in a bigger God, the one that created the heavens and the earth, the one that we go out to the ocean, we go, how do those tides rise and fall and not just cover the land? Because God, you're so much bigger than we are. So we love you. And I know that for my brothers and sisters, they just got to put their stake in the ground and say, God, your word is truth. And I stand in your word and I'm going to read it. I'm going to be obedient to it. We love you in Jesus' name.